You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome back to the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Griffin Youngs. And before we get into the episode for today, first, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook to use, but it is also America's top-rated sportsbook. And it's easy to understand why. DraftKings Sportsbook is incredibly easy to navigate has plenty of instructions for new bettors and nearly limitless ways to get in on all of the action, including this great opportunity. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits, and all you have to do is pick any basketball team that is still in contention for the title, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits, but if basketball is not your forte, Do not worry, because DraftKings Sportsbook has great odds on essentially any single sport imaginable. And if you want to get yourself invested into the now-confirmed Stanley Cup Final, DraftKings is the destination for you. They are safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So how is it going, everybody? Hope everybody is doing well as we approach the conclusion of the 2021 NHL season because we have a Stanley Cup final matchup, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Montreal Canadiens, who beat the Vegas Golden Knights in six games, capped off with a Game 6 overtime win to send the Montreal Canadiens to the finals for the first time since 1993, and the first time for any Canadian team since 2011. Essentially, we've talked about Montreal on previous episodes, the ultimate underdog story, the lowest seed in the playoffs, just this power of friendship kind of run, but they also absolutely deserve to be there. They they shut down Vegas entirely, and now that that series is completely wrapped up, we can do a full autopsy on just how badly the Montreal Canadiens dominated the Vegas Golden Knights in several ways. I mean, Should we as Avalanche fans take anything away from Vegas, the team that systematically beat us, getting so systematically beat by the Montreal Canadiens? I mean, a little bit. I I don't want to be so quick as to just write this off as nothing. Oh, it was a fluke. Because it wasn't. There There is something to this. Montreal 
executed their systems against Vegas to a T, like to absolute perfection. They could not have drawn it up any better. I believe Cole Caulfield, who had no playoff goals coming into this series, had one less goal than, I think, all of Vegas's forwards. I believe with Riley Smith's goal in Game 6, it pushed it to five goals for the Golden Knights, and Cole Caulfield, a rookie who has not played a full season in the NHL, had four in this series against Vegas. He was excellent. And Mark Stone, completely pointless. Max Pacioretty with one goal and I believe four points, which respectable, but not at all good enough for what they expect out of him. And Montreal, they they were not afraid of Vegas whatsoever. And that that's the recipe to beat to beat Vegas is just don't fall into their style. And I feel like Colorado kind of bought into a lot of their hype a little bit. Montreal played like a team that had nothing to lose, and Colorado played like a team that was afraid a little bit. And when they had their way with Vegas in the first game, I mean, obviously Vegas was very tired. Game two, Colorado should not have won that game, but they did. Ultimately, it was the last game they won in that series. And then once Vegas started to mount a comeback, it was kind of a mix between Colorado taking their foot off the gas, and then not really knowing how to get the gas going again, in a way. Because Vegas's playoff successes over the last few years have come against teams that have played the way Vegas has wanted them to, just even from their beginning. Their initial, their first year run to the Stanley Cup Final... L.A. was terrified of them, San Jose less so, but Vegas was just too much for them, and Winnipeg looked absolutely terrified of the Golden Knights and everything they did. And then the Capitals, they should have swept that series first of all. They were not afraid of Vegas one bit, they just wanted to win the Cup, and they dominated them in five games. Then you look to the next year against the Sharks, they're up 3-1, Vegas is up 3-1 in that series. They blow that lead because San Jose is just playing their game at that point like they have nothing to lose. And, I mean, we can talk as much as you want about the the five-minute major in that game and San Jose winning because of that, but it's not like Vegas didn't deserve that penalty. So, regardless, and then you go to the bubble the next year. They play the Blackhawks, who are bad, and then they play Vancouver, who was... Literally just Thatcher Demko in that series, and that series got pushed to a Game 7. Nobody was impressed by that win for them, and they got beat pretty badly by Dallas, an undermanned Dallas team. And this year for Vegas, they beat Minnesota, who gave them a lot of trouble in the regular season. They beat Colorado, winning four straight games, and then they they blew it to the Canadians, who they should have... They should have washed completely, and all credit to Montreal. They have been spectacular. But Mark Stone with no points, like I said, in this series. Pacioretty with just one goal, and it was in a 4-1 to one loss, so I don't even, you can't even really count that. I mean, without like Alex Petrangelo and Alec Martinez putting up the performances that they did for Vegas, this series could have been over a lot faster for Montreal. I mean... Maybe not a sweep, but 
likely five games for the Canadians, which is, if you're Vegas ownership, I mean, you've got to be absolutely pissed, right? All the money that you've been spending on this team, all the money you just spent on Alex Petrangelo. I mean, there was, if we remember our final game against Vegas in the regular season, they were, they were not icing almost an entire line because they were so up against the cap, they could not ice a full roster. And now it comes down to, I mean, Colorado versus Vegas was what everyone was waiting for the entire season on both sides. Vegas comes out on top in that, and they don't even win the next round against the worst seed in the postseason. Again, I don't want to come off like I'm discrediting Montreal. I am not whatsoever. I'm just purely talking from a Vegas perspective here. I Disclaimer, I am fully on the Montreal bandwagon, and I was so happy when they won. Because if you've, if you've been listening, you know I do not like this Vegas team. And Montreal is a fantastic story. So just to make that clear right away. But all the money that they've put into Mark Stone and trading for Max Pacioretty and trading away Nick Suzuki, who was outstanding in that series for the Canadiens. I mean, Vegas even included Tomas Tatar in that trade and a second-round pick, and only Nick Suzuki is the one that played. It was basically just Suzuki versus Pacioretty one-on-one in that trade, and Suzuki came out on top, which, welcome to the league, Vegas. Now you get to feel like the rest of us having a trade come back to bite you. But Vegas, they they have $6 million in cap space this offseason. Alec Martinez is as good as gone. I'm interested to see what they do with their goaltending because... Marc-Andre Fleury just had an outstanding season, obviously. He's a Vesna finalist and is, would have been second on my ballot. And But he did not finish the, the playoffs for them. He got replaced by Robin Leonard at the very end because he, let's face it, he single-handedly lost Game 3 for them, and I don't understand why they put him back in for Game 5. Leonard won Game 4 for Vegas in Montreal, an overtime game, while Fleury gave away that Game 3. And then, you had Flurry come back in in Game 5 for reasons that were beyond my understanding, and they lost. <laughs> he let in three goals. And he they weren't particularly great goals either. He was scrambling all over his crease. Like, just a very, like, jumpy performance from him. He looked nervous. And then they put Leonard in, in Game six and he plays really well in that game and they just come short in that one so I've got a take that might be controversial but I don't see why Vegas wouldn't trade Marc-Andre Fleury this offseason last year they were talking about it apparently he almost went back to Pittsburgh but Vegas was gonna have to like attach a draft pick to that in order to get teams to take that seven million dollar contract like a first or like a second round pick or multiple picks just to get teams to take that contract. And now, as he heads into the final year of his deal, you can get a you can get a king's ransom for him now that he's up for the Vesna, obviously, and like was your guy in the playoffs and his his value's now back up and high again. You'll get something back for him. His contract is now just one year, so teams don't have to worry about it being a, an anchor for them. And he's also 36. 
you can't guarantee to me that next year Flurry's going to be as good as he was this year. And when you have Robin Leonard signed for the next four seasons after this one, this was year one of his extension in Vegas after they signed him because they weren't expecting Flurry to be good again, I think it would be a prudent move from them to trade Flurry now and use that to get some center depth because Vegas has no centers. There's they, This is what frustrated me about our loss to them is that they have Chandler Stevenson on the top line. And I like Chandler Stevenson, former cap. He's a great player, not a top-line guy, not whatsoever. And they need to find a way to get some kind of center in here, and they don't ha- they're don't. they up against the cap right now, and they're going to have to find ways to get that done. And getting $7 million off the books with Flurry, running back the next season with Leonard, who was just as good as Flurry for most of the season, I think would be a smart move for them and be able to get value back on that guy before he probably walks away in free agency next year. Or maybe he doesn't walk away in free agency. Maybe they keep him. But I don't know. I think that wouldn't be a terrible move for them. They need to get more center depth, and that should have been Colorado's advantage over them when we played them. But obviously Kadri's not there, and Jost up on that second-line role had him looking completely outmatched, and he... He was outmatched at a lot of points in that series. So with Kadri, maybe things would have changed in that series and we could have seen Vegas's lack of center depth getting exposed a lot earlier. But you can't change you can't change the past now. They get past us and Montreal really exposes them in the next round and they did so very very impressively and they will be taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning, the defending champs. In the Stanley Cup Final, Tampa Bay overcomes the New York Islanders in seven games with a one nothing win in Game 7 with a shorthanded goal from Yanni Gord being the lone goal of that game. What a fun series that was. I'm, I'm proud I actually got one prediction right this postseason so far, calling Tampa Bay in seven games. This postseason for me with predictions has easily been the worst of my life I've I think I got Tampa Bay in the third round right or at least the Stanley Cup final right and that's it I think I got most of the first round wrong my final four was Tampa Bay which I changed at the very last second I almost had Carolina then I had Boston Toronto and Colorado which did not work out very well, as we know. But that should be a very fun Stanley Cup final. I'm fully on the Montreal bandwagon. I don't, I'm not really on anyone's side here. I think it would just be cooler to see Montreal win. But Tampa Bay, is just, that's just a team full of killers, man. The defending champs, they've been through it all. Even before they won the Cup, they've always been dangerous. You know, the these underdog stories that you see every once in a while in hockey, we saw almost this exact scenario in 2017 when the Penguins took on the Predators. The Predators were the second wild card in the West at that point. The Penguins at that point were the defending champs. So it's not the first time we've seen a matchup like this. And these underdog stories almost always end in the Stanley Cup final. 
I, I go to my example of Nashville a few years ago. They looked dominant in the first three rounds in the Western Conference against Chicago and against St. Louis and against Anaheim. And Pittsburgh, the defending champs, made them look human at a lot of points. And that, that was a very fun series, granted. But Pittsburgh was undoubtedly the better team and deserved to win that series, no matter how much fun Nashville made it in the end. And I feel something very similar with this series. I mean, Tampa Bay, like I said, team full of killers. Kucherov, Braden Point. Braden Point is just one of the best playoff performers in the league right now. And his play against the Islanders is nothing short of spectacular. If Vasilevsky somehow doesn't win the Conn Smythe, if Tampa Bay wins, it's going to have to be Braden Point with just how good he's been for Tampa Bay. But with Montreal, I mean... They're a great team. They have a lot of depth. They're clearly a bunch of playoff performers. And this, I mean, you look at all their numbers. I mean, this is no fluke what they're doing here. I don't want to come off as saying that this is a fluke whatsoever. They 100% deserve to be here. I want to make that very clear. This is not a fluke whatsoever. I mean, this run suggests a lot more of their early season numbers back when they were like leading the North 15 games into the season and then had that random drop-off at a certain point. But I just don't know if they have that like center depth to compete with Tampa Bay. I mean, you, you look up and down at... It's almost asinine to look at paper at this point in the playoffs because it just doesn't matter. But Tampa Bay has the advantage just about everywhere. I mean, we'll see how much that matters in a few days. But offense is Tampa... Defense is Tampa, and goaltending, which most important, I'd say, is Tampa. Vasilevsky right now is the best goaltender in the league, and Carey Price has been outstanding. I'd say he's been the second best goalie so far in these playoffs, and number one has been Vasilevsky. So I really hope we can see Montreal win, just because that's a an underdog story that you love to see. And something people don't like to talk about, I mean, I know no... American wants a Canadian team to win the cup just because we like dunking on them for that. But a Canadian team winning the cup does increase the odds that the cap will go up sooner than later. I mean, no matter what, not this season. But a Canadian team winning the cup just generates more money for the league. I mean, a Canadian team in the Stanley Cup final already is going to generate a lot of money for the league. And them winning just generates even more. Eventually, maybe not next year or even the year after that, but in three years, maybe that can start to contribute to um, a salary cap increase. But I think that's a worthy price to pay, quite honestly, for dealing with Canadian fans for one summer. But regardless, I hope Montreal wins. My heart says Montreal. My head says Tampa Bay. I think it's going to be a very fun series. I hope it, I hope it's a longer series. I don't want this to just be like a Tampa Bay in five kind of thing. I, one thing I do hope we see in this series is I hope the cup is won on home ice for somebody. Like I'm, We've had, what is it now, five consecutive seasons of the cup being won on the road, and last year, obviously, it was Tampa Bay in Edmonton winning the Cup against Dallas because they're, you know, pandemic, that kind of thing that happened. But even if you take into account, oh, it was Game 6, if if everything was the same, Dallas, it, the Cup would have been won in Dallas. 
So technically, ever since 2015, when the Blackhawks ironically beat Tampa on home ice, all Cups have been won on the road. Both Pittsburgh Cups were won on the road. Washington won on the road in Vegas. And St. Louis won on the road in Boston. And obviously last year was the bubble. So that's just one kind of cool thing that I want to see at the very end of this. That's like a weird thing that I've kept track of for the last few years. I hope that changes. Especially, especially if it's Montreal. I hope Montreal, if they do win, they win it in six. I think I think that would be my like ideal scenario, honestly. Montreal winning in six games on home ice, that'd be a, a real fun scene. Even if it's not 100% capacity there, that'd be a great scene there in Montreal. But enough about the Stanley Cup final. I'm sure if you're listening to this show, you're more than well aware of what's been going on with the Stanley Cup finals as of late. So let's move on to what we wanted to talk about with the Colorado Avalanche today, and that is kind of wrapping up our free agency previews for the team, or at least the guys that are on the team right now. And the main guys I wanted to talk about were Tyson Jost and Brandon Saad. We've talked about Kale McCarr, we've talked about Gabe Landeskog, and we've talked about Philip Grubauer, and I'd say the two guys that kind of round out that free agency conversation in terms of real important players that are going to contribute, it's pretty obviously Saad and Jost. Now, Saad is an unrestricted free agent. He's 28 years old. Tyson Jost is a restricted free agent. He is 23 years old. But let's start with the easier one here, and that would be Tyson Jost. As a restricted free agent, he is going nowhere. I think everybody would be stunned if Tyson Jost is not on the Avalanche next season. The only way he's not is, is as part of a massive trade. And Jost is just a heart and soul guy on this team. There is hardly a player on the ice ever working harder than Jost. His offensive numbers are not that impressive to look at, but as a two-way player, he is one of the stronger defensive players on the team. He really came on in the second half of the season, and I feel like he's kind of been overlooked as of late and even outright criticized due to his play against the Golden Knights at certain points in that series, but let's acknowledge that he was out of his depth at that point, and you can really fairly or unfairly pin that on Nazem Kadri for taking himself out of that series and putting Jost in a position to have to take on the top six of the Golden Knights in a second-line role, which he just is not built to do. So Jost is coming back. The question is just how much and for how long. Jost's last contract was a one-year deal that paid him essentially a little more than league minimum. It was Eight seven eight hundred seventy four thousand. He's going to get a raise on this next contract. The only question is: Is it going to be one with a little bit of term? Is it going to be a one or two year deal with a low cap hit just to help pick around the margins with our upcoming cap crunch? Now, what I think for this deal is that it's not going to be like long term. I would not expect anything more than four years here. I probably wouldn't even expect four years out of this. I think Jost is going to probably get maybe three years or so, and I've heard some suggestions that he would get less than two million dollars. I personally don't see that happening. I don't see why he would 
accept anything like that, especially if it's a a longer term contract like three years instead of just one. If it's a, if it's a one year just kick the can down the road contract like he signed last year, maybe because he's still twenty three and can still get that payday. But if it's a three year deal, I won't. I can't see how he would accept anything less than two million dollars for a contract. I think he's realistically probably going to get around two to two and a half on a three-year deal because he's going to get a raise and he deserves it I mean he's only improving offensively I mean this his second half of the season really impressed me after just what kind of seemed like a lethargic start I mean he was oh he's always working hard on the ice he's always giving a hundred percent just the pucks were not going in for him for the longest time and he he finished he finished the entire season with seven goals, which is all right. I mean, he's never... I think you're never going to ask Tyson Jost in his career to be a 20-goal scorer over the course of a full 82-game season. That's pretty unrealistic, but maybe around 15 would be more realistic for him. But you still want Jost to be your third-line center for next year and the year after that, and for me, ideally, the year after that. You still want Kadri on the team. My stance on Kadri now, just thinking about it more, is that if you trade Kadri, you're going to have to find a way to replace him, and there's just not a lot of ways to do that right now, and that's a whole that's a conversation for another time, but you're signing Jost in this deal to be your third-line center. I think with what he does for the team... That can cost you around $2 million, probably maybe two and a half. But when it comes to the salary cap, those like extra $500,000 will really start to add up over time. So if you're Sackick, I don't know if you can do two and a half. I think, well, he's an RFA, so it's not like you're going to get outbid for him. But ideally, I think you're going to want him around $2 million and with other guys that are up this year, like you're going to have to re-sign a Connor Timmons. He's probably going to, you're going to have to find ways to save money on a lot of these other guys like Connor Timmons, like Tyson Jost, because you're going to need every penny you can get if you do in fact want to re-sign Brandon Sod, because that is going to be immensely difficult no matter how you slice it. I mean, if you just look at the Avalanche's salary cap calculations, like let's just let's just throw some hypotheticals together real quick. The Avalanche, their cap space right now, going into the offseason, is twenty basically twenty-five and a half million dollars, which sounds like a lot. In fact, they're under the cap floor. But that's very deceiving. And we've talked about on the last episodes that that cap space is going to go away very quickly. Let's just throw out some hypotheticals for just what I think market value would be for some of these guys. Kale McCarr at $9.5 billion. Landis Gog at $6.5. Grubauer at 6 Let's say Tyson Jost gets 2 So that alone is already taking up a lot of your cap space. McCarr and Landis Gog alone are going to be taking up 17 million dollars and then you throw Grubauer into that mix now you're at 23 million dollars and you're already two million dollars away from the cap 
let's say you sign Jost at two, like I said, you're basically now up against the cap and you're going to need to figure something out if you want to keep Sod. But there is the expansion draft coming. So let's say Jonas Donskoy gets taken in expansion and his money comes off the books, which is $3.9 million against the cap for the next two seasons. So you have a little more room, but that's still not enough if you want to get Sod. Sod's current contract, the one that is expiring right now, is a six-year deal worth $6 million a year. For the Avalanche, we only had to pay him $5 million against the cap because Chicago retained a million dollars. And I'm I'm honestly very interested to see what Sod is going to get, whether it's from the Avalanche or somebody else. For Sod, it's a question of what's more important to him because he's won cups. He's won two of them. He won in 2013 and 2015 with the Blackhawks. And he has his cups. And he made a decent amount of money on his last contract. He made $36 million. He got a decent payday and now is... Realistically, his last opportunity to get another decent payday because he's 28 now. If he, even if he signs like a, a four-year deal, he's going to be 32 when that one expires. Realistically, he's probably going to want to sign one for longer. So it depends how much value he's putting into winning another Stanley Cup. And I imagine he's putting quite a bit of value into that. I mean, he's a very competitive guy. But what I mean there is... If a team, like for example, like one of like one of these bottom dweller teams, like let's say New Jersey or Detroit or like Ottawa, you know, you know what I'm getting at here. Like one of those teams, like teams expected to finish towards the bottom of the league. If they offer him a boatload of money, let's let's just say hypothetically they offer him seven million dollars, which would be pretty crazy. Would he take that just to get the payday, or would he potentially accept a pay cut to stay with a competitive team. And when you look at competitive teams, options are kind of limited. I mean, you want to talk about true Stanley Cup contenders. Obviously, if you make the playoffs, as we've seen from Montreal, you're a contender. But like safer bets, like Tampa Bay, once you go into the offseason with Tampa Bay, they are already over the cap before they've even signed or done any sort of move. So that takes them immediately out of sod contention. Vegas has salary cap problems of their own. Pittsburgh has cap problems of their own. So do the New York Islanders. And like, there's just not a lot of teams out there that can, like teams like Colorado up there in Stanley Cup contention that can afford to pay him all that much. So if he does in fact place a lot of value on winning a Stanley Cup. I'd honestly say his odds of re-signing in Colorado would be pretty good. Not nearly 100%. I'd maybe say more like 50 at that point because he's going to have to make a sacrifice in order to stay with this team. His current contract, as we said, is $6 million. And it was $5 million with the team this year with the retained salary from Chicago. We're probably going to have to be looking at like a Tyler Toffoli-like contract, like the one Toffoli signed with the Canadians last offseason. Toffoli was 
28, I believe, exactly when he signed that contract with Montreal. He signs at 4.25 for four years. And if Saad does want to stay with the team and the team wants to keep Saad, that's probably the contract that we're going to have to be looking at. No matter, like, let's say Donskoy gets taken, all the other things that have happened have happened. You're still going to have to make another move even after Donskoy, and you're going to have to figure out what that's going to be. Is that going to be a Kadri? I doubt it. Is it going to be Ryan Graves and his 3.1 against the cap? Is it going to be JT Comfer and his 3.5? You can make those moves. You're, you'd, have, you'd, be, you'd have to find a way to make those moves but they would help in the long run of getting that done. You wouldn't do something about Eric Johnson and his $6 million against the cap. Like, you're going to have to do a lot of work to keep all of these guys. And I, I love Brandon Saad. He's an excellent playoff performer. And he, was ju- he was just a natural fit with this team all season. He, he, to me, strikes me as the kind of player that can take a team like Colorado to the next level in the playoffs. I mean, his playoff goal total, a little unsustainable this year. I mean, let's face it, he had a couple fluky goals against Vegas, but he still played outstanding regardless of his outstanding production. I mean, in 44 games in the regular season, he had 15 goals. In 10 games in the playoffs, he had seven goals. He had nearly half his goal total in less than 25% of the games. I mean, he's not going to be doing that next year in the playoffs, but I just, I really love his his role on this team. I loved seeing him with Jost a lot of the time. I thought the Saad, Jost, Nachushkin line was excellent a lot, and even seeing him with Kadri and Burakovsky as the natural second line always worked really well here. So, it's just, if it gets to a certain point, we are going to get outbid with him, even with other teams that are in somewhat of contention. Like, let's say, like a team I always go back to is Edmonton. Edmonton, for the first time in a long time, seems like they actually have salary cap space to spend this offseason. They've got about $21 million, and I imagine a guy like Nugent Hopkins is going to walk, and... They got to re-sign Yamamoto. They can just make that like a, a bridge deal and save money on that. Barry, we'll see what happens with him with Edmonton. But they're, I had them as probably a leading candidate to sign Philip Grubauer in the offseason. And I think Brandon Saad would be a player that they would pursue as well. I mean, with Edmonton, the, the rumor is, is that they are really in on Zach Hyman um, from Toronto. And Hyman is commanding something north of like $6 million in this current flat cap era, which, I mean, God bless him, but I don't know if a 29-year-old is going to be getting that at a career high of 41 points in 2019 and also coming off of a massive knee injury that he suffered this season. More power to him if he gets that, but... I think, well, even getting off track a little bit here, if Hyman gets that from Edmonton, that's going to raise like the the stakes of contracts for guys like Saad around the NHL. So 
If we sign, if like just if the Avalanche signs Saad first before anyone or even Toronto signs Zach Hyman, I think that would probably be setting the market for players like that. Like if Hyman gets over six million dollars, that's gonna that. Honestly, it's unrelated, but I would also think that would definitely end Saad's tenure in Colorado because he would definitely be looking for a similar deal. Just even though his numbers aren't as productive, I mean Hyman plays with. Matthews and Nylander, and if he's not playing with them, he's playing with Tavares or Marner. So, I mean, he fits out those lines really well. I think he'd be a good, like, compliment to McDavid and Tricital in Edmonton, but uh, Edmonton's that team I always go back to for, like, bigger name free agents this year. Apparently, they're more in on Hyman than Saad, but I would not be surprised if they end up signing Brandon Saad. But getting back to my point, like, Teams like that, like Edmonton, would be in on Brandon Saad, and they would just be able to offer him more money than the Avalanche can. And if Saad is willing to come back to this team, I mean, he clearly knows the team well at this point. I mean, he played an entire season here, and you know he knows as good as anybody that this Avalanche team is right there. Yes, they came up short this season, but... It's pretty easy to see just how close this team is to breaking through and really winning. And yes, he has his two Stanley Cups already. It just depends on how much value he's putting into winning already. Because it's, it's not like Brandon Saad is like building a Hall of Fame ballot or anything. He's never going to win any individual awards or anything like that or and like be in any contention. Like nothing, nothing like that whatsoever. I mean... I also make one thing clear. I have no problem with Brandon Saad going and getting his money if that's what he decides to do. I'm, I am, every single time, I'm fully on the player's side with stuff like that because, yes, these guys are millionaires, but they need to get every dollar that they're worth. And, like, you just, you never know. Saad could suffer a, a horrible knee injury next season. Like, if he, if he signs, like, a shorter-term deal to help out the Avalanche he could suffer a horrible knee injury and never be the same again and miss out on millions of dollars in his career. I mean, that's just the kind of stuff you have to think about if you're a player like Saad at this point. Like if a team like Anaheim or LA or any of, or any of these teams offer him big money to sign there, Buffalo, would he take those seriously? I mean, it just it really just depends. I think the ball ultimately is going to be in his court. If he wants to go out and get his money and get his final big contract of his career and lock down all that generational wealth, all the more power to him. I would fully support him. If his priority is going to be on winning a third Stanley Cup in his career, I think Colorado is probably going to be his best bet to doing that because obviously there are going to be other teams that will want to sign him that would have a chance at a Stanley Cup, but... He knows the Avalanche system and everything. He knows this team really well. And I guess we'll just find out with him. I mean, we've I've heard really nothing about it. I've seen nothing about, like, the Avalanche have been talking to Brandon Saad. I mean, obviously the priority is Landeskog. And if Landeskog gets signed soon, maybe then it would move to talking to Saad again. But I think Saad is really just going to be a luxury at that point, I'd love to be able to keep him. That would be absolutely incredible. But it's also not going to be the end of the world if they can't. I would be I would be disappointed, but 
you just have you just have to be realistic about this. That's that guy is a luxury that we might just not be able to afford. And if, like if we're get and even the hypothetical scenarios that I created with like Makar at nine point five and Lance Gog at six point five, like that could that could all go out the window when Lance Gog gets seven or Makar gets ten or like we just we just don't know right now. I mean that's all just hypotheticals. And say Saad signs at five million, like I don't even think I don't even think we could do that. Like there's just not a lot of ways to get this done. It would take a lot of cooperation on Saad's part and really just being like that kind of I want to win kind of player and I will give up literally millions of dollars in order to do it. So we'll see what happens with him. I'm keeping my expectations reasonable when it comes to re-signing him. If 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 we can, great, but I'm I will understand if it's just something that just can't be done. We'll have to see what happens with the expansion draft, the kind of player that gets taken, if it's Graves, if it's Donskoy, if it's Kompfer, any of those guys. Those will all have a big impact on if Saad can stay. But that about wraps up all of the free agency previews for the offseason. We've talked about Gabe Landeskog. I think that could look to be around a 65 million dollar deal for around six to eight years you lock up your captain your core heart and soul guy you get that done philip grubauer i think is going to be the most interesting contract that they sign this offseason if they do indeed sign it i'm not a fan of long term for goalies but there's just not a lot of solid alternatives for goaltending if you don't keep grubauer i think a around a six million dollar deal at around three years would be the perfect ideal contract but that's just not going to happen so i i don't have i still don't have a solid answer on grubauer and then when it comes to mccarr you you sign that you sign that long-term deal now you get that out of the way you don't think about it for the next eight years i think that can come in at around 9.5 make him the the highest paid player on the team and Anything above like $9 million would make him the third highest paid defenseman in the NHL. And it's hard to argue that he doesn't deserve it already. It's his second year. He might be winning a Calder and a Norris in back-to-back seasons. So I think he's going to get paid handsomely, and he's going to deserve every second of it. Then we obviously talked about Jost and Saad today. I think Jost comes in around 2 to $2.5 for a couple years, and Saad... If that happens, it's probably going to have to look very Tyler to Foley-esque like the Canadians did last offseason. But that's going to be it for the previews on the Avalanche's free agency and the guys they have to sign internally, or the guys at least they're hoping to sign internally. Uh, Over the next few weeks, we'll look a lot more at the expansion draft. We'll be looking more at the entry draft, free agency, potential trades and obviously looking at the stanley cup final as it happens game one will be happening for you at least if you're listening to this on monday when it comes out tonight in tampa bay i think tampa bay wins that series but i don't think montreal is as big of an underdog as people are making them out to be i think that's going to be a very fun series can't wait to see who comes out on top but that's going to be it for this edition of the teledabs it is podcast on the hockey podcast network 
I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Follow me on Twitter at GYoungsNHL and follow the show at Tell It Abs It Is. Thank you so much once again for tuning in. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Have a wonderful time with the Stanley Cup Finals, and I will talk to you all next time.